Good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I think um, there's a reason I'm here. I, uh, there was different things that have been going on, and so uh, there was many reasons that I almost uh, canceled, but um, I know the Lord had me come here for a reason. And I was, as I was leaving, my daughter was crying, Mommy, why do you have to go? And those are always hard uh, moments, but... Um, there was supposed to be, there's talks of a, another congressional hearing this week. So as soon as I leave here, I'm going to go to D.C. And so that's what um, Pastor was talking about because uh, it's going to be a longer trip. Possibly, we don't know, 100% yet. So um, this morning as I was praying, you know, um, I want to share my testimony. But I really felt the Lord had a special message for this morning. And I will share that with you. And, uh, you know, um, the message of abiding and remaining. And I don't know what your situations look like, but I just felt this morning the Lord was saying, abide, remain, cling, and you will bear fruit. And, um, and I want to share that because that's the, the season I'm in right now, um, because there seemed to be a good moment of fruit and, and action for Saeed. And, and then there's the season of nothing and worse, where he's in a prison where he might not survive it. He might... Um, die in that prison they've sent him there to die and um, a season of death almost winter nothing and God is looking for those servants who abide who remain and who don't give up and then you will see the fruit and that's what he's been sharing in my life recently and I just felt this morning that's what he wanted me to share with you I want to share a little bit of my testimony Um, I actually moved from Iran as a little girl and uh I don't think a lot of you know where I moved to. I moved to San Jose. <laughs> so um, it was interesting as I was coming down the air, uh, I was landing in San Jose Airport. I was thinking, this is where I actually was here for um, about over a year, I think, for a, uh, a year and a half of elementary, I think. And, um, and so a lot of people ask me wherever I go to New York or D.C. or wherever, they're like, how did you end up in Idaho? And so I, now I can say, because I was just reminded by it, I can say, actually, I'm a California girl. I just, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not Idahoan. But actually, uh, what happened was we moved here, and my brother had um, a vision of Jesus. Uh, and we were going, you know, we're not, we weren't a Christian family. My, um, we come from a very strong Muslim family, especially my dad was very strong. My mom was more Muslim. She called herself a Muslim, but she was more agnostic. And she had issues with the Muslim religion because it had prophets. And Shia Muslim, you pray to different prophets. And she always thought, that's just nonsense. You shouldn't pray to a prophet. You should just talk to God. And she, she created her own Islam. So, but she, was, she would say she's a Muslim. But my dad followed through every prayer. And he was very religious. And uh, so we didn't go to a Christian school. And we came here. We went, came, went to a very secular school. And I remember as a little kid, it was very different because when I was in Iran, it was was, the revolution had just happened. Girls had to wear coverings and the girls and boys were separate. And in school, you were being taught about Islam and airplanes flying across was a bad sign. meant a bomb was about to drop. And I remember first time coming to California, I would say airplanes by the airport. I'd freak out and run inside or something. And so, um, but the public schools were very uh, scary for me because it was just a different vibe. And um, my brother, soon after we came, had a vision of Jesus. And, and, and uh, we talked about when we grew up in Iran as little kids, he was my twin, he's my twin brother. So we talked about why would, where is God? Why would he allow war? Because we saw it in front of us. Why we would, you know, our school friends would die. And we could hear, we would go in the basement, they would sound the sirens. And at night they would make the lights go off so the enemy couldn't see the houses or lights. And then so you go to the basement, there was a shovel and water. So just in case the bomb hit your house, you had to dig yourself out. And we saw a lot of, uh, a lot of horrific things um, as little kids that you shouldn't. And we questioned God, who God was and where he was. And we were being taught about Islam. So we decided to pursue that. And my brother especially got very involved. And at that time, um, they were having 
little kids in elementary school sign up for war. They were brainwashing them that if you die in this war, you go to heaven. And they would make little kids run through the mines. And then the trained soldiers would go in. And so my parents were afraid that um, my brother would sign up and they couldn't do anything about it because we'd heard of the parents who had said something. Uh, the government was arresting them and saying, you're anti-government. So anyways, we came here, and uh, in the back of our minds, my brother and I were talking, where is God? Who is God? And we were pursuing Islam because that's all we knew. And we looked to our dad and our, and our mom as our example. And soon after, my brother had a vision, and he re- came running to me, and he said, this is the God we've been looking for. This is the God of love. This is the God. And, and so, you know, we, um, we asked around, and, and my, uh, we asked around. Someone said, we said, who's this Jesus? And someone told us, and we gave us a Bible. I think it was a Psalm um, and New Testament Bible, because I remember one of the first Psalms I read was Psalm 2, where um, the Lord's, uh, Psalm 2, 7, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. It's one of the verses I, verses I clung, clung to before the, my parents took away the Bible. And uh, and I, I just, as a little kid, I prayed for the nation of Iran as my inheritance. I said, Lord, that's what I want. I want that nation. And I don't know why. I think he had me read that verse so he would put a fire in my heart about that and then and then for him to kind of later on use that in my life but that was the verse I always prayed because it was the one of the fir- first verses I read as a Christian and <clears throat> before my Bible was taken and then it was just came, came coming back to me so I kept repeating and repeating it and um and my dad couldn't believe it was a vision he said no way you've been brainwashed by the Christians in the U.S. Uh, somehow he thought the secular, and wherever I say this, people laugh because they say California. My, somehow he thought, he thought the secular California schools had made us Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and he just could not believe. He said, nope, it, it's the schools. It's the Christian schools. It's America. And so he considered, I remember he said, I remember we had a family meeting, and he said, we're going back. And my brother's crying, everyone's crying, because we just had gone back from the war, and we'd liked the U.S. and the freedoms. And, uh, and he said, you, it's horrible. You, you're becoming westernized. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my family. And uh, so we had an uncle who also lived in California. He said, I'm, I, I found a job in Micron in, in, a, in a city called Boise in a state called Idaho, and so maybe you can take him there instead of going back to Iran. Maybe you can take him there and de- de-brainwash them. And so that was the, that you know that was the plan. That was the human plan to take us to from secular uh, school system in California to a rural, rural <laughs> conservative place in Idaho, <laughs> where there was a lot of Christians. And 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 of course, <laughs> it just made sense to my dad. And, um, actually there's a lot of Mormons, but, um, not, you know, there, there is a big Christian population, but there, there's more Christians there than in California probably. Um, but that's why my, where my dad fled to, that's why we ended up in Idaho. Whenever people ask me, how did, how did you end up in Idaho? That's why, where I, we ended up. And, um, it's just by God's grace that, uh, my parents for nine years, since I was nine until 18, really, tried to de-brainwash us, wouldn't let us, let us read Bibles, wouldn't let us go to church, and we kept our faith, and it's just a miracle because, you know, and soon after, um, I think around nine, ten years after I saw their hearts open, after crying out for them for years and years, and 13 years after is when they gave their hearts to Christ in Idaho, where they ran to, <laughs> and so that's how I ended up in Idaho. I uh, could have been from here, um, if my dad didn't think somehow Idaho was running away from Christianity. Um, you know, and as I just, over the years, I prayed for the Lord. I prayed, I want Iran as my inheritance. I didn't know why or how, because I never thought we'd go back. Um, we spoke Farsi at home because my parents didn't want me to lo- want us to lose our, uh, language, but really I spoke English most of the time. I grew up and, you know, um, my friends were, you know, I I didn't have any Iranian friends. My culture was becoming American and I never thought I'd go back. And in college, you know, um, I was studying pre-med and, 
again, it's, it's interesting because I was finishing high school and my parents were still Muslim. And I was thinking I get to go to college and like get involved with the Christian rebel and rebellion for me wasn't getting involved with like the Christian, you know, uh, groups and, and all of that. And in God's humor, I chose one of the most liberal colleges in the U S uh, university of Puget sound. I don't know if you know it. It's, it's one of the top liberal universities, uh, in the U S and there I was excited to learn about Christianity and I'm there and my teachers are like, you are dumb. You know, why would you even believe in God? And people are looking at me weird. Like here's very liberal, very liberal people. And here I am like ready to learn about Christianity. There's nothing. There's, I mean, a few, uh, Christian groups on campus that I, I eventually got involved with. One of them was InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And, um, but uh, it was hard because I came from persecution at home and then I went persecution in college where I was really, uh, uh, ridiculed and made fun of. And, you know, because I was, you know, a Christian and the Lord allowed me to keep my faith there. Not only that, but I, I, I the Lord used me to lead a lot of the liberal, um, people into Christ there. And, you know, I started a second sophomore year, I, st- I, start, I started a, um, seeker Bible study where I would invite people that were not Christians. And then we'd go through the book of John. We talk about Christ and I got to lead, a, uh, some people to Christ there. And, but I was pre-med. I was, you know, if you know any Iranian families, which I'm sure this is a region many of you do know, um, California has a lot, especially Southern California though, has a lot of Iranian population, but Iranian families really you either have to become a doctor or a engineer. There's no, nothing in the middle. <laughs> Most Iranians you talk to, they're either doctors or engineers or that's, there's no other option. And so I was, uh, my, my twin brother ended up getting a doctorate in quantum physics at university of Chicago. And I was studying to be a uh, medical school. I was studying pre-med. That's why a lot of my, um, teachers thought I was stupid. I was not very smart because they, they said, how could you believe in God? And so I was taking a lot of, uh, biology classes that they were trying to convince me. Um, but last year in college, the Lord, I was praying and we went on a retreat with an varsity and, uh, the speaker said, I know all of you have left, you know, have plans for the rest of your life. And I did, I was going to go to medical school and then I was going to be a missionary doctor to Africa, not Iran ever. And, um, and they, he said, you know, just pray and ask the Lord to lead you. And I prayed and the Lord, um, I, for the first time I saw a vision where I was talking to these Muslim women and there was hundreds of thousands of them and they were kneeling down, they had their covering and they were crying. And I was right here, right like this. I was talking to him and I was crying. Like I couldn't get the words out about the love of Christ and how they needed to know Jesus. And, and I kind of, kind of rocked my world saying that, like, what does that mean? Muslim world? What is that? Like, what do you want from me? And so long story short, the Lord really used the next few years. Um, I ended up not going to medical school and to my parents' dismay, and just waiting on the Lord to see what, where he wanted me to go. And, um, long story short in 2001, in June of 2001, the Lord put on my heart that I needed to go back to Iran and I didn't want to, um, see, since I was in elementary, I'd gone back to Iran twice. And I think one time I was like 17 and one time, uh, it was right after college and it was for a few short months to visit relatives. And I hated it. Every time I spoke Farsi, people would make fun of me. Like, are you, what village are you from? Like, why do you have an accent? And, um, I didn't, I, I couldn't get along with my relatives. I didn't. And every time I shared the gospel, they would get mad at me and, um, there was no fruit. I felt that people were closed. I'm like, why, why would you want to send me there? And the Lord said, you just need to obey. And I fought him, but, uh, eventually I got a plane ticket in June of 2001 and I got my plane ticket for October of 2001. And of course, September 11th happened. And my, my parents at that time were Christians, but, um, I feel bad for them. It's like they became Christians and then they had to have a radical daughter, um, who's been rocking their world (laughs) in their faith and prayer life. Uh, they haven't had a easy, uh, mellow Christian walk ever since. But, um, so I've had my, I've literally had my mom clinging to my feet, like, don't go 
please don't go. Middle East is dangerous. Why would you, what, what can you do in the Middle East? And I was thinking, what can I do? I'm just 20 some year old. I'm this girl in my mid twenties at that time. And I, what can I do? Here's like Iran. And the world was just opening up to Iran, who, what Iran is, what a radical country it was. And no one has been able to figure Iran out yet and solve it. And so my parents were just, what are you going to do? And I felt the Lord say, you just have to obey me. It's for such a time as this. And so I just, I went and, um, I started sharing the uh, gospel with some of my family members and, um, three cousins and two really close family friends came to know Christ. They're about my age. Well, my, the oldest was my a little bit younger. I was like 25 and then he was like 22 and then it was like 13, 12, 10, 10, 9 or something. All these, like five of, of them over the year came to know Christ. And I was like, okay, I'm done because I shared the gospel with all my relatives. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd done everything and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm ready to go back. You know, I did my mission and, and I really saw it as a short-term mission, not knowing what the Lord had planned. And, um, before I left and I didn't want to go the, Iran has, um, um, building churches, we call them. In Iran, you say building or house church. And I've noticed when I share about building or house church, people are confused. Um, building church is like this, where government is monitors it. It's legal. It's not hidden. The government knows where it is. I mean, the buildings can't expand. Uh, they have been, uh, those churches have been um, standing before the revolution so so the government let them still be open after the revolution uh, but recently they even closed those churches down but uh, until few, until last year they had allowed these churches to be open and um but mine was a hidden house church meaning and i will explain to you even later on when i met saeed house churches you meet in houses sometimes when we had bigger crowds of like this We'd actually go underground to like parking lots in, in, in apartments and we'd meet like this. But really house churches or underground churches mean just house and houses. And we'd change the location so people, we noticed neighbors would see some five, 10 people going into a certain house 7 p.m. every Tuesday. They would call the police. So we had to change around the times and locations. It was pretty complicated of uh, meeting with the different house churches. And at the, as the churches grew, it became even more complicated. But um, but there, there was a system to it, I guess. So I was, I had a house church, I guess. And those people had come to know Christ. And I was ready to just, I got my, my, my dad was coming to Iran to get me and fly me back to the U.S. And so um, I had a cousin who'd been saved. And she actually is, lives in uh, San Jose area right now. Um, she... I kept telling me, um, come to the building church, come to the government approved building church. And I kept saying, no, it's dangerous. And finally, um, finally she convinced me long story short. I knew I was leaving for Iran uh, for the U S and I was like, okay, if the government notices me, no big deal. You know, I'm going back. So I, I ended up going to the building church and then that's where I met Saeed. And, um, he was just passionate. Um, and that's what, you know, I, I, I felt when I first met him and it was a big church and it had balconies. It's just, it was called the central in the middle of Tehran. And they recently closed that church after they arrested Said. And, and, uh, so anyways, out of all that people, he stood out to me and I said, okay, Lord, you're showing him to me for, to disciple these people when I leave. And so I handed over, you know, the f four or five people I had. And I said, can you disciple them? I, and it's interesting. I, I, he could not have even been a believer because that church was full. I didn't even know that he'd been, he was a pastor when I first met him. And I learned that he was an underground church pastor and all of that. And Long story short, I handed those people over to him and went to the U.S. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm done. And then three months in the U.S., the Holy Spirit was like, no, you need to go back. And at that time, I kept hearing from my cousin, this guy is amazing. He's a Paul. He's a Saul. He turned into a Paul. And he's tempting me to go back. And this, you know, he's like, you got to come back. You got to meet this guy. I'm going to all the house churches. And it's just amazing. There's this move of the Holy Spirit. The churches are growing. So I went back. Um early 2003. And, and then we were, you know, engaged eventually it's a long story, but the Lord showed us that he had marriage in, in, in mind for us and got engaged, got married in 2004. I want to share about my marriage a little bit, but, um, uh, the churches grew from the time I met him. Said was pastoring about hundred people, 150 people. And 
by the time we left Iran in 2005, there was over 2,000 and uh, people who had given their hearts to Christ in over 30 cities. So, you know, for uh, really in our family, Said and I were the failures. Said barely finished high school. And I didn't finish college, for, which for my family, that's a failure. I, finish, I finished college, but I didn't continue to get a master's or a doctorate. And so for the Lord to use us to, to nobodies, really, to failures in terms of the family. Um, my family thought I was a failure. I'd left the good dream, the American dream, and moved, went to Iran to grow, to bring people to Christ is amazing. You know, one Muslim coming to know Christ is pretty difficult. It has to be the spirit of God. It can't be a human. I can't say I did it or Saeed did it. It's just not possible. The Lord has to bring, uh, change their heart. And so for thousands, for my, for myself to see thousands come to know Christ is a miracle. Um, is it's nothing I can say I did this program or I did this and this is how it worked. It, it was just, I was, we were both clueless and the Lord was leading it. And so I can't say this is the way it works, um, but I know what how, what works because the Bible tells us, and that, that's what I wanted to share with you today. Um, and then um, our wedding was amazing. I want to share that a little bit because we uh, we Said said, you know, I want to get permission to have a Christian wedding. We did we didn't in, in Islamic weddings. You, you they say verses from the Quran. You have the Quran and. You make covenant to Allah, and Saeed didn't want to do that. And um, so we went to the government and said, we're Christians, and we want a Christian wedding. And and Saeed has always been bold and on it like that. He's just never hidden, you know. So he, And they said, okay. And at that time, there was a different president named Khatami before Ahmadinejad. And so he was more moderate. He allowed us to have a Christian wedding, and the government thought, you know, 30 people are going to show up. They're going to have a wedding, and it's going to be done. Okay. Whatever, and then this building um, holds about 400, 500 people. It was, we thought 300 might show up because Said was really like promoting it, uh, <laughs> inviting Muslims, and he was just like, "Come to our wedding, come to our wedding." And so we thought, you know, and my most of my family was in the U.S., so I mean, my parents came back, but uh, there's just never been big weddings. There's just like 30, 50 people, and most people that hold weddings in that church, most of their families don't want to come. And so the government was thinking a quiet wedding. And then we made 300 wedding favors, and there were Jesus films and Bibles. They were beautifully wrapped in this, like, my color was pink, and there were just beautiful bows. And, and, um, and so people were excited to get them. But we ran out because I think close to 500, 600 people showed up. And so here's our wedding in the middle of Tehran in this church, central, it's like central assembly, and it's right in front of a huge mosque. It's near a very famous Tehran University in the middle of the city. And 600 people are worshiping, sites passing out Bibles. We're sharing our testimony. It was not even a wedding. I have the video. (laughs) I have the video to prove it. I actually, I have to tell you, I did. Said did get in trouble for that. (laughs) Because we had an argument after. I was like, that was not even my wedding. You just, you made... (laughs) You made it into another event. Can can we not do church for one day? And we actually had a little, like, to be honest, fight about it. Um, Because it was nothing about me. Um, It was like something like this. I was telling about Christ and there was worship. And I'm just like standing. No one's like looking at me. I'm like, I'm the bride. You know, people should be excited to like celebrate our union. But it was, you know, I look at it um, after, after fighting him and getting him into trouble, I thought about it and I said, okay, this is the wedding we would have both really wanted. God gave us the wedding we wanted. But um, so many people came to know Christ and these favors were passed around. And later on, we learned so many people came to know Christ from that. My wedding photographer uh, was a Muslim and he was kind of drunk. He'd been drinking, but he was scared because if you're found drinking, you get, get in trouble. And he said, I've been drinking. And there's police circling the church with guns. If they come, they're going to arrest us. And, and he said, do you realize you, this, your wedding could be like closed in any second? And that's when we realized we were looking. We didn't tell the guests. Um, there were some Americans there, and they were like, uh, they would freak out right now if they knew there was an Iranian guard circling the church with guns and angry. And, I mean, there was, the worship was blasted out in the middle of Tehran. And by God's grace, you know, nothing happened then. And so, you know, um, 
when Said was arrested recently, I was thinking, why now? I mean, I have so many good instances where we could have, we should have been arrested. And um, why now that he is working with the government, he's made promise just to discontinue the house churches. And the Lord said, because that's the time I chose. It's for such a time. And so I don't know in his perfect plan why he chose now, because there has been a lot of dangerous times where we should have been arrested and we just weren't. And we were let go. We were arrested and let go, arrested and let go. And, um, and then we came, you know, the rest of the stories on the news, we came to the U S when Ahmadinejad became president, went back in 2009 and Said was interrogated for a few months and told stop with the house churches and we will let you to travel back. But, uh, one of the intelligence police said, why don't you do something good for the country, humanitarian effort. And Said's father had a land from his father in the North of Iran. And at that time we had no ministry. And, um, and at this time, <laughs> but, um, we just, we knew, um, uh, and there was already a land there. We knew with minimal changes, the, there was already a building there. We knew with minimal changes, we could make it into an orphanage. And I'd been, since I had had kids, I'd really been, uh, the verses about the orphans and the widows had really like touched my heart thinking, what about my kids? are out in the streets because in Iran you see a lot of street kids selling stuff and thinking what if my Rebecca and Jacob my three-year-old and five-year-old were out there with no covering with no protection and a lot of them you know as they get older they get they get picked up and raped and just go through horrific stuff and so we said let's just get them and we were working with the government to get orphans but we were also trying to figure out how to get kids off the street because they're in ball and they're in um like a mafia thing where they make money off of them and getting them from that mafia is very hard. So we were kind of asking around, there was, there was someone who was teaching kids, um, who, who would gather all these kids, street kids and, um, teach them at noon, teach them school. So they were educated. They were, he was, he was teaching them and he would feed them lunch and then he'd send them back. So kind of not get into trouble with the mafia that owned them, but was trying to teach them school so they could be, you know, have education. But so we were kind of um, exploring different ideas. But this, I mean, we start working with the orphanage and we start investing little $100 here, $100 there. I worked, so we would send money into Iran and just um, make the changes. And then, as you know, um, this thing happened with Said, very unexpected. I, um, My three-year-old and my five-year-old, so it's been two birthdays without him, were... Um, uh, you know, he talked him into bed and he said, I'm going to come back soon. They were always excited because he'd bring him a gift. And, uh, he said, I'll see you soon. He tucked him into bed. And then, uh, you know, we went to bed and then five in the morning, I remember we got up for me to take him to the airport and, um, he kissed their little foreheads and that was it. That was the last time he saw them. And then I dropped him off at the airport. You know, this is one of those quick trips where you just don't even park the car and you're like, okay, bye. See you soon. Cause he was supposed to come back like in a few weeks. It was supposed to be a quick trip. And, um, and that was the last time I saw him. And so my mind goes back to that moment a lot. And, um, and then I got, you know, of course he was supposed to come back in July. They didn't let him come back. They took away his passport and then he kept calling the intelligence police. What's wrong? Why am I being detained? I haven't done anything. And then they said on like September 26 at 10, p 10 a.m., you'll have some kind of a interrogation questioning. You're going to show up at somewhere. We'll call you at nine in the morning and we'll tell you where to show up. So he was waiting for a call. But it's interesting because on September 26, when they took him, Said, like most Iranians, you know, they eat dinner at 10. They sleep at midnight, which... Uh, something I could never get used to, but like Saeed was always late night person and wanting to sleep in in the morning. And so he called me from Iran, like five in the morning, their time. And I was like, that's strange. He never, he's never awake at that time. Like he's just not a morning person. And we were chit chatting and I said, are you worried about the questioning you're going to have today? And he said, no, you know, but, you know, this happened last night with my mom, and we were just talking. I said, okay, well, I'm praying. A lot of people, and I had posted on my Facebook, let's say has some kind of a hearing today. Hopefully, you know, they'll resolve whatever it is, and he'll come home. And we were thinking he'll have the hearing, and then he'll be home. 
And so I went to bed. I wasn't even worried about it. I prayed and I went to bed and then midnight I get a call from his mom. Like they took him, they took my son. I don't know where they've taken him. And she, she was hysterical. And I have to admit since that night, I haven't had a full night's sleep. I wake up every couple hours and I'm just like some news, you know? And, um, so it's just my whole life has, you know, I used to want to, uh, you know, my whole life has changed, but, um, it was the most horrific call. And we didn't know where he, they'd taken him for uh, about a week. And we knew his phone was controlled, their house phone. So I called finally after a f- few days of not knowing where he was and then hearing a report that there was a blogger that was killed after four days in Evan prison. I was, we, were, we were like, is he even alive? What has happened? The way they took him was pretty scary. Five revolutionary gar- guards, which are considered terrorist groups with beards, came, took him. And... And I called the house phone and I said, I'm going to go to media. If I don't know where Saeed is right now, I knew they were listening. I will go to media. And an hour later, he called his family and he said, I'm in Evan prison. I'm in solitary. I'm okay. And so, and, and so for three months, um, the Iranian government kept saying, we're going to release him. We're going to release him. Nothing. Don't make noise. Don't make noise. Don't say anything. So I was silent from September to, to December. Nothing. We're hoping he's going to get out. They would say, oh, $50,000 million, like $50, bail, bring it. We'd bring it. No, no, it's, now the judge said it's $150 million two months, so we'd bring $150,000 bail. Like we, we'd bring like house documents or something that, that uh, added to that number, and they would keep rejecting it. And then I, we realized he was in solitary from end of September till end of October, and somewhere around that time after he came out of solitary, uh, his family got to see him. Uh, uh, they had visitation every other Thursday, and that's when we noticed he's been he's being beaten up. And I knew I couldn't wait any longer. It was getting worse for him. He'd already been there three months, and they'd beaten him up. He had started internal bleeding that he still has now. And so, um, but I didn't want to go to media. I didn't want my beautiful little world, like, touched. Like, not beautiful at that time, but I just wanted to be in this bubble with my kids, and just pray and just be like, Lord, you're going to release him. And the Lord kept saying, no, that's not my plan. I, I want you to go to media. I want you to go to get different governments and officials. And I kept saying, no, Lord, you're going to free him. Why do I need to ask people, men, who are men that I should ask them? I'm going to ask you. And he said, no. Um, because really, God, I mean, Said, if he was here, he'd be shocked. I'm just, um, he would go teach at the house churches and I'd go in a corner. Like, I did not... Talking to people, like, drained me. Crowds scared me. And uh, travels, everything I'm doing now is, like, is, is a death to my flesh. Because my flesh says, no, I don't want to talk. I don't want to be in front of people. I don't want to travel. I don't want to get away from the kids. Um, leaving my kids caused me anxiety. I never wanted to leave them. Even for one day, I would think, leave my kids. I can't do that. And I just get anxious about it or, or getting on a plane. So... Just it's for his glory because I'm such a weak person. He gets to shine through. And I can't say, yeah, I'm a great, you know, I studied communications and, you know, and this is how our ministry planned to save Iran. This is what the method, nothing, clueless. I didn't, I wasn't even planning to reach the people of Iran. I was trying to save my husband. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to use it for the gospel. And I have nothing to put on the table. I couldn't say, I can't even tell you, um, you know, I study to be a great speaker. I study. This is this is why the Lord chose me because I'm, I have credentials and there's nothing. I'm a, I'm a nobody. I'm a housewife in Boise, Idaho, and I think God in His humor chose Boise, Idaho. You know, He didn't choose New York or LA. You know, <laughs> I mean, you cannot imagine how many people I go to these great like Fox News and CNN anchors. They're like, Boise? You're from Boise? <laughs> they're just like, we don't get it. How did you, I mean, this, this thing is from Boise, but, um, and I, that's like actually what Saeed said when he first came to the U S he's like, I thought it was going to be like Hollywood. Where did you, where did you bring me? <laughs> he was not happy because Tehran is pretty big and Boise is pretty small and he needs, he Saeed loves people in his face. He's opposite of me. He has to have like, I told him because I've been to India I told him, you're going to love India. You ha- he has to have people, like, close to him, shoving him, cars, traffic. Like, he's like, oh, this is great. I love it. 
and here's Boise. There's no traffic. You know, it takes, you know, the first time we came to the U.S., he went, we went to like to a, a pizza bar thing. And there was a family sitting in this booth and he went and sat with them. I'm like, no, you don't do that because he's so social. He would, in Iran, we'd go sit with people and talk with people. He just, he's like, there's not people close to me. I need to be close to someone. But, um, so, you know, so God in his wisdom chose us because Said and I, um, you know, Said, um, I, I, from the day one that I met him, I said, I, I see a David in you. You have such a beautiful heart of worship and prayer. And, um. And, um, but David was the smallest and, and Said was always like in his family, he was the loser in a way. Like he just could not, he was not, um, good at school. He was just not good at anything. And, but for the Lord to choose people that can't say I have, I had anything to offer, you know? And I think in his wisdom, that's what, that's who he chooses. And so when he told me to go to media, I was like, no. And he said, I'm going to use it for, for the gospel. And I was like, how? How can you use this suffering, this horrible time in my life where I'm broken? I don't want to see people. I want to be in my flesh. Why would you, I don't even want to be used for ministry right now. Just leave me alone. Just let me survive this. And the Lord said, no. Do you want to submit? And after three months of fighting with him, I submitted and I went to media, not knowing what, what, what does God mean that he's going to use me for the gospel? Like, and I went to the media and the doors opened, kept opening, kept opening. And I was invited to speak at different events at the UN with 196 nations, with nations, not people. <laughs> Hearing in, in their own language, as I shared, that Jesus Christ is the way to God. And it was surreal, you know. I didn't plan it. I didn't have a dime. The Lord sent me there. I didn't pay for it. I couldn't pay for it. The Lord sent me to Geneva um, free. I can't say it was, I planned it. This is how Said and I planned to reach the nations for the gospel. I was clueless, but I knew when I went at the UN and I was sat there for two weeks and I could hear them talking about bringing solution to the world's problems, trying to solve all of these issues. And we could hear different countries talking and fighting. And I knew they, they needed to hear this. They're trying to solve the world's problem with the only thing that can solve it. They have that, that, that thing needs to be in the formula and they, they've taken it out. And so I got to share that Jesus Christ is the pe- the God of peace they're looking for. He's the solution. And, you know, I, they heard it. That was all. I, 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 I knew the Lord had me there to say it. I couldn't force them to believe, but I just said it. I just had to open my mouth. And I have to tell you, it felt awkward and silly to say it in front of ambassadors with, you know, high up people looking at you. Are you like, you know, the gospel of Jesus is foolishness to the world. But I knew I had to look foolish and say it. Are you seriously standing in front of us and telling us Jesus Christ is the way to God? Are you kidding me? You know, I could see. For a second, I felt so foolish. I didn't want to say it. But I knew that's where I was there to say it. And the Lord had me there to open my mouth and to be faithful to his gospel. And he has had me on secular, you know, side would say, I'm going to, we're going to reach millions of Iranians for the gospel. And um, the first time I was on Iranian TV on Voice of America Persia, I couldn't hold myself together because I was like, he's reaching millions through his imprisonment. His picture is reaching millions. That's not the way Said would have planned it. He, he's a preacher. He would have planned preaching in a stadium full of people. And I was reminded of Paul. Paul knew he was going to go to Romans, and, and, but he didn't know he was going to go in chains. And... You know, Said knew he was going to preach to the millions of Iranians. He didn't know he was going to do it in prison. And he wasn't going to say a word. And his wife was going to do it. I couldn't do it the first time. I was in so much tears and thinking, Lord, this is the way he's doing it. And I've been able to speak in secular um, Iranian channels, news channels that everyone watches, BBC and Voice of America, and share about Jesus Christ. And one of the shows... um, it was one hour live, and I was excited because I didn't realize that they called me. They said, if you can get yourself to D.C., 
you're going to be on this very popular show. It shows Thursday nights in Iran, Thursday mornings there, which Thursday night is the weekend because Friday is the day off. And a lot of Iranians watch it. They said, you will be on this show. And I thought, okay, it's going to, because a lot of the interviews, um, ha my interviews have been uh, pre-recorded and they're cut. And so I had a friend who'd worked with TV stations. She says, she said, just say Jesus as many times as you want, as you can. Because then they can't, it's going to be awkward cutting all that out. And you're going to just be like, uh, silence, uh, silence, you know. It's going to be awkward if they cut all of that out. So I was ready to do that. And then I show up Thursday morning and I'm like, this is a live show. Wow, this guy does not realize what he's just doing. <laughs> he's giving me live show into Iran at prime time. It was right before the elections. People were watching Voice of America and BBC, and I, I got on both of them live. And uh, BBC, I had shorter time, um, but I, got, I did get to check. I did BBC first, and then I drove straight from BBC station to Voice of America station in D.C., and then there was a lawyer, and we were both getting on. The lawyer was from Iran, and he said, I just watched your BBC. You're making it worse for your husband. You need to stop talking about Jesus. And I said, you know, and, and so this is a Muslim lawyer, and he sits. And, and I just had a really bad feeling about him. He was trying to kind of dominate me. Like, let me tell you what you need to do to save your husband. And, and he said, you just did really bad. What you said at BBC is endangering his life. You need to stop talking about Jesus. And then I, you know, and I'm like, in my heart, I'm like, I'm just going to obey God. I'm not going to obey you. And then he, we, you know, the, the live thing was going on. They're talking about Americans in prison in Iran. They had the lawyer that had represented the two hikers come up through, you know, there was just different lawyers and different people and they're having this really nice lawyer language. And I'm like, Oh, I know that word. I would pick up words in the middle of their sentences to try to figure out what they're saying because <laughs> it was like really sophisticated Farsi language. And I, they, for the Iranians who, who, if you watch my interviews, I'm very like minimal, very elementary speaking. Like I don't, I'm scared to use high word. Like I, every time I want to say Secretary of State, John Kerry, I'm like, how do you say Secretary of State? Like I don't know a lot of the words. And then, um, or, you know, but... So these lawyers are using like really sophisticated, nice words. And I'm just like, uh, intimidated. And I felt the Lord say, no, don't be intimidated. And I'm the only woman there. And, and then the lawyer says, um, the host said, maybe they took him to do a prisoner exchange. Like he's a hostage. And, and then the lawyer says, no, he was sharing the gospel. And, and I have to tell the Iranian people, hold on to your culture. Don't let these people from the West come and take your culture. And I'm just like, and the host looks at me and said, and I'm like, uh, uh, ready to say something. And it's hard because I was intimidated by these really educated, like very, uh, I guess, eloquent people. And, but I'm just like, I'm going to open my mouth. And the host said, well, what do you have to say? They say, you know, your husband was changing our culture and blah, blah, blah. And I said, actually, I want the Iranian people to know 600 years before Islam, there was Christianity. And I want the Iranian people to know Jesus Christ is not from America. He was from the Middle East. <laughs> and I want the Iranian people to know we were one of the first people to worship Jesus at his birth. And we were one of the per first people to be in the book of Acts where the churches were started. So it's a lie because I just wanted my people to know that. It's a lie that becoming Christian is losing your culture. It's actually going back to our culture. And the Lord, you know, I was, it was another surreal moment in my life because I'd imagine telling the people of Iran the deception the devil had them in. And I got to do that on live. They couldn't cut me out. And I got to say it to the people of Iran, and so many watched. There was, they say it had one of the highest viewers because it was right before the election. It was a news, news channel, which everyone's watching. Um, some estimate over 50 million watched. And the response I got was pretty amazing. I thought I'd get a lot of anger from the Muslims. A lot of the Muslims said, that was really good. And I was like, do you know what I just said? <laughs> If it's really good, it means you're going to accept Christ. <laughs> but, um, you know, 
And the Lord has allowed me, um, I went, when I went to Geneva and spoke in front of the UN, I had a lot of Iranian human rights groups there, people who'd been in prison, who were part of the green movement, who'd had husbands or family killed in Evan prison. And it was interesting. As soon as I said, I'm Nagmi, you know, Abedini, and um, actually the Iranians know me uh, by my maiden name, uh, long story short. But anyways, but they, uh, they, they would say, Saeed? Oh, we heard so much stuff about him. He came, the people that have been released from that prison, they say he's such a man of peace. And, and I had people, because I was so busy in Geneva, I didn't have time to talk. I had people, these Iranians, come up and say, can you share about Jesus with us? He seems, it seems a religion of love. And a lot of them were young people. They said, we're, we're agnostic. But this Jesus sounds interesting. Can you tell us about him? And I saw the openness. And, you know, and so... Um, the Lord has really used this for the gospel. I couldn't have imagined such a painful time in my life um, when I, when my flesh wants to be in a hole and not see anyone and just hold my babies for comfort um, would be a time where the Lord would separate me from my babies, have me completely out of my comfort zone, traveling in, in crowds. Um, and, um, speaking before nations and governments and ambassadors in private and in, 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 in crowds. I've spoken in front of ambassadors, senators, congressmen about Jesus Christ. And I know every time I'm given this huge opportunity to speak, I know I'm not there just to say, please help my husband. I know I'm there because God wants them to hear about Jesus. And so he's given me this opportunity. But the reason I come up and speak right now in my life is Probably, you know, I just was able to get up back up again. I, I really reconsidered coming here because I didn't think I could move when I heard about Saeed's move to Rajai Shah. I said, I'm done, Lord. Just give me a break. I'm not going to travel anymore. I'm just going to hide in a hole. And I had a call. I had a, a few begging emails by um, Anne Graham saying, come to this. I'm speaking at the Cove. We'll, like, love on you. And, we'll, and I was like, uh, you know. Uh, I was really considering that, but, but, you know, really in my flesh this time, I wanted to hide and just, I can't get up. When I heard the news that he was moved to Raja Ishar, I said, I can't get up. I couldn't get up. My knees felt weak and, uh, I was just weeping and crying before God. And, um, this is how I want to close is I was reading, um, Luke 8, 15, and then there's also another verse in John about the vine. It's about the vine, and then it's about the um, it's about the seeds, and then it's about the vine too. I, they, they both kind of have something in common. Um, where Jesus is talking about the seeds that fall by the wayside, you know, the people who hear it but they don't they don't believe, and then the ones on the rock, and then the ones that are on the thorn and then the ones that fall on verse 15 fell on good grounds are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart. So the soil is good. Um, here, good heart, keep it. There's actually a few translations that say um, cling to it. It's an active keep. It's, it's like clinging when you're being trying to be torn apart like it's an active active um thing so or uh, keep it or cling to it and bear fruit with patience so when i was about to give up the lord said cling and be patient don't give up get up get back up and do it and i felt like today you know um the Lord has this message for you. I don't know. You know, every time I speak, I want to share this, be like comfortable and just share the testimony and be done. And the Lord always says, no, I want this message. Last night was a different message. And this morning, the Lord kept saying, I want people who are coming today to hear this. Because I had to go from a good season where I thought Said was going to be freed. I saw so much fruit, so many people coming to know Christ. And then President Obama called President of Iran in September 27th and asked about Said. There was good reports coming out. There was just senators and congressmen have been signing petition, have been signing, doing resolution. Just a lot of good things happened. The European Parliament, 28 countries spoke out about Said. And so, and then boom, something bad in human terms where I want to just give up. I'm like, why am I even trying? Like, it just got worse. 
And, you know, I'm sure a lot of you know, it's, um, he went to Rajai Shah where he's not with political prisoners there. He's with, um, he is with, um, murderers who are on death row. And f- just in the last, um, 10 days, 10, 12 days, he's been there, um, actually two weeks now, um, to, tomorrow will be two weeks. He, there's been deaths in that prison from prisoner to prisoner violence in his, in his ward and Saeed's ward is the most violent. And, you know, I know in spiritual terms, the enemy, um, is not happy with Saeed because he's led so many people to Christ in Evan, but with spiritual eyes, I know he's done in Evan. Um, I've had family members who visited their, their, their prisoners, wives who I've led to Christ. Um, because their husbands came Christians in prison and the wives called me and said, why is my husband different? And I've, I've been able to minister to the wives, but they have said they're carrying the torch in Evan. Now they're sharing the gospel until Saeed was there. They weren't sharing. They were just receiving from Saeed teaching. And now they're sharing the gospel at Evan prison, the new converts. And that makes me happy. They, they said, we're going to continue the fight that Saeed was in. And so the government might've taken him to, stop him preaching in Evan or uh, separate him from the support group he had there. He had a good support group, like a church. Um, but they're continuing. Those people are continuing to share the gospel and that makes me happy. And I know the Lord has someone for him in Rajai Shah, but really, I really, I'm like, Lord, I know you have a plan, but please release him right now. (laughs) Um, but I was, I, but it's like, I went from a good season to like winter again, nothing. And the Lord's looking for those people who go from good seasons, fruitful seasons, like Said and I had with the churches and then nothing from churches growing to nothing. And then from, okay, small, like the budding of, of like the orphanage and, and then boom, nothing that's dead again. And he's looking for those servants who are disciplined, like the soldier, the, the soldier, the, the people that, that uh, are sent out to the front are the most, the ones that the government knows they're not going to give way. They're going to be the most stubborn. They're not, you know, they're not going to back down. And so God is looking for those faithful few who see the good seasons and then there's nothing. And, and I think, I, I believe this is the message he has for me to share with you. There's a season in your life where there's been good successes and then there's nothing. If you give up in the winter, you're done. He wants you to hold on in the winter. The seed, it says that the, 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 uh, when it talks about the seed, it says those who cling or keep it and are patient. So the, you say, how, what's the secret of bearing fruit for God's kingdom? It's not education. It's not having a plan. Um, because then you can say, Said and I could say, give part of it to, to our credit. We can't do that. We weren't in a ministry. We didn't have a plan. We are in a most broken, dark time in our life. And the Lord says, okay, I'll, I'll use you because I'm at a clinging time. He uses people that are at, where they're desperate and they're hearing from him. And sometimes that's how he gets our attention when there's nothing and there's desperation. And I believe this morning, um, that's what the Lord has for you. You're in a season where it's dead and he's saying, are you going to give up? Or are you going to continue? And that's what he's been telling me the last couple of weeks. I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to get back up. I said, I'm done. What? I don't know if you guys know how I feel, but it's just like, you don't want to go speak when you're like, your whole world's falling apart and just, you're in this dark. And the Lord's like, no, you're going to do it. And I'm going to give you grace and strength to do it. And so he's asking you today, are you going to give up? Because the winter will, will finish. And those who bear fruit are the ones who don't give up. The ones who cling, clinging, I feel like I'm in a storm and it's just like the winds and the storms are coming and it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm just not going to let go. You're just holding on. That's how it is in your life right now. Are you going to hold on or are you going to say, I'm done? I'm going to walk away from this. I'm going to walk away from this situation. I'm going to walk away from this relationship. I'm going to walk away from this ministry. It's not bearing fruit. I'm done. The Lord gives fruit to the ones who cling and are patient. And a lot of times our patients are tested. And so this is, I feel like this is the Lord's message to you today. Are you going to give up? Because the fruit is coming. It's the end times. And he's looking for a few faithful servants to do his work. 
and all of us are part of that. And he wants to use you for mighty work for his kingdom. But he's looking for that person who's not going to give up, who's going to cling. You know, and in um, in John, it also talks about the vine and the branches. And, and John fifteen four says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You know, abide is, is, a, is, is active action. It's active, actively deciding to cling to him, actively deciding to stay. And, um, you know, and, and he says it's easy. You, this is how you bear branch. This is how you bear fruit. You abide in me. That's it. It's not very complicated. You know, the early church didn't have to spend millions and billions of dollars to promote, come to know Jesus. It was, people were added to the church daily because they lived Christ. It's easy. You just live with him and the fruit comes. You abide in him and the fruit comes. And we make it so complicated. We make it um, so hard. I didn't have to do a thing. He had me speak before nations. He's had me speak before ambassadors and millions of Iranians. He's had me speak. And I recently spoke at, at a university with 15,000 students. And I just abide in him. And he says, go here, speak here. And there's nothing. I, I'm so broken and desperate. There's nothing I can add to what he's telling me. I can't say, no, Lord, I want it. It's just, I'm just a dead person right now. I'm so dead that he gets to, I'm a complete, he's made me a complete bond servant. And so that's the people he uses where you're like, mercy, I'm not going to say, I don't like this. Don't break this comfort zone or don't do this. And where someone says, okay, I will do if it means breaking out of my comfort zone, whatever it means, I will do it. And that's the person, someone who clings and doesn't give up. It's like stubborn, like Saeed, you know. When they first took him, I was like, oh, you know. They're not going to be able to get him to repent. He's so stubborn. As a wife, I know his stubborn side. <laughs> he is stubborn. When he believes in something, the more you say you need to, like, back away from this, the more he's like, oh, I'm not going to do it. You can beat me up. You can threaten to kill me. And I knew it. I said, the more the Iranian government's going to try to say repent, the more he's going to be like holding on and sharing the gospel. And that's just, the, that's the way the Lord has made him. He's given him a very strong, um, Saeed does, is not, you know, early on when I went to Iran, I was controlled by fear a lot of times. I was afraid to do things. And Saeed would say, I'm not going to be controlled by the uh, spirit of fear of Islam. And so I think this is why, I mean, the Iranian government's just frustrated. They're like, we bring him in prison to stop the gospel. There's more his wife is doing. And then we, even prison, our people are coming to know Christ. Now we take him there. I, I don't, I don't know what they, they don't, they don't know what to do with him. And of course, any human being with some, you know, some understanding would say, just free him. <laughs> that would make more sense. You'd have not as much pressure, not as many people to hear about Jesus. And you'd be, you know, it just um, doesn't make sense. But so you just abide in him and you keep it and you're patient. That's it. So people say, how do you bear fruit in ministry? Don't give up. Don't give up and cling to him because he knows how he's going to save the nation of Iran. He knows how he's going to save the Muslim world. It's easy for him. It's easy. It's not this complicated, like trying to argue people to Christ. He says, okay, now the season has come. Open your mouth. And you open it, and people come to know Christ. It's that easy. But he's looking for faithful servants who are not going to give up. And you know, a lot of times it starts in our personal life. Are you going to give up in your personal life? Is there, is there a situation, a person, your marriage, your kids, a disease, a sickness, something that's just making you, you can't even breathe anymore. You're just so done. And that's how I feel right now. You're so done. You just want to give up. Are you going to continue the fight? Are you going to stand up and say, I'm not going to give up? And are you going to be patient? I, want, I wanted Saeed out the next day when he was taken. But the Lord had a different plan. If he was taken the first month, the second month, the third month, people, not as many people would have heard the gospel. He had his perfect time. I just have to be patient. I don't want to be patient right now because I believe he's at a very dangerous, critical time. But I just have to be. I have to cling and I have to be patient. And that's the secret, you know. A lot of people want to know how, what's the secret. And there's books of how to be successful and, and uh, grow your ministry. It's really simple. We have a simple God. You cling to him and you wait. And the fruit comes easy. It's not that hard. So um, 
I do want you to pray. I want to encourage you. I felt this morning the Lord saying to some of you who want to give up on something, don't give up. The fruit is coming. If you give up in the winter, you're not going to experience the spring. And, um, but in a more of a personal note, um, I am in a, I am where I'm telling you to do what I'm telling you. I'm at that situation where I do want to give up too. So the Lord has been cheering me on. Don't give up. Don't give up. Stand up. Stand up to, you know, the Iranian government has threatened me many times. The more you speak, it gets worse for him. And I had a very, you know, well-intentioned human rights people who contact me who are Iranian human rights people. They said, see, you spoke and it's getting worse for your husband. It's not working. And in my heart, I'm saying it's working because more people are coming to know Christ. It's not working doesn't mean it's getting worse for him. I'm happy. I'm happy if, you know, I follow God and it seems like Lazarus. It seems like it's getting worse. But for me, seeing people saved, it's worth it. Getting worse for me, it could last my life because the Iranian government has said, be careful, you're, you're stepping into our territory. You're becoming anti-government. You are, you're attacking us. They see me as someone who's attacking them, this, you know, fragile little girl. <laughs> but I'm not, you know, they see me as a threat. And it could cost my life. It could cost Saeed's life. But I don't see that as loss. I see that I see that the gospel of Christ has been preached, and I see it as gain. But you know, people have said you've you're made, you've made it worse. Stop talking. And you know, I know, I know. In human terms, that's what it seems. But I'm not going to give up. I'm at the point in my life where the Lord's saying, "Don't give up. Continue." You want to give up when it's winter, and that's when the Lord's saying, "Oh, this it's going to bud soon." You don't want to give up now. and But I do want prayer because it's a struggle. I get up every day and the, I have to argue with God. I'm done, Lord. Just give me a break. Just And the Lord has to say, no, don't give up. Get up there. And, um, and he has chosen the weak things of the world to reveal himself. I do hope everywhere I go, everywhere I speak, people look at me and say, it's not her. It's definitely not her. It has to be. It's a God thing. I hope you hear this testimony of the UN. And and there's nothing I can say that I did to bring this about. And so, and I hope you are encouraged to cling. Don't give up and wait for the fruit. Patience. It says both in the seed verse and in also the vine. It has two things. Abide, cling, and wait. It has uh, active clinging where you're not going to give up and a wait. And waiting is, is also an action. And um, so, but I do want prayer um, because it's a battle. Sometimes like Moses, I feel like my arms are falling down and I'm just like, I don't want to do the battle anymore. And the body of Christ, God's grace, and you, you all have helped me to carry on. You've taken the burden from our family. I have to say that a lot of the burdens as a single mom, you have lifted off, off, off of me. And I'm thankful for that. You've prayed. I've, I received messages from people and the Lord gave me this first. And it's like fresh water to me. Um, people say, I know you hear it a million times, but I'm praying for you. I said, no, I want to hear it a million times because it's like some people giving me little water to drink where it's like telling me I'm behind you. I'm holding your hand up. Continue. So, you know, um, before, when I went through trials, I would run away from the body of Christ. It's like, don't talk to me. Just leave me alone. Now I need it. I crave it. When the people say, I'm praying for you, or the Lord gave me this verse, I love it. I read it. You know, early on when I was getting bombarded with messages and stuff, someone said, well, let's, someone said, I'll do all your messages. And I said, no, I want to read every single message because they encourage me. Um, so don't, you know, don't be afraid to come and say, I'm praying for you. I love hearing that because in this season, that's what I need. That's what I need to know that the body of Christ is carrying me and keeping my hands up. But I do feel led that we're closer to, um, Saeed's release. I do feel like it's the end of the winter where the spring's going to come up with spiritual eyes, with human eyes. It seems like it's worse. A lot of times I've feared my, in my flesh, I've feared his death. Um, so I do want to ask you to pray for his release. Um, ask that the people that need to hear the gospel at Shradjoisha, those murderers, Jesus loves them, that they would come to know Christ. Pray for open doors with them because I know it's hard. Um, they've been treated like animals for so long 
Uh, Raja Ishar is the place where people are no longer people. They're, they've become animals and um, that they would just discover Christ. Um, pray for the new believers in Evan. Um, they're continuing the fight and they're getting threatened by the government that they too would be sent. Um, probably not in the same prison as Saeed. This is what they want. But <laughs> they're probably going to send them to different places. But pray for them as they're, as they're carrying on the fight of the gospel, the sharing the gospel and, uh, and pray for me that God would, you know, as Paul says, give me strength to continue, um, and to step in doors that I need to step into and to close doors that I don't need to. Uh, I don't really care. I mean, I don't really have my own agenda or method. If the Lord says this door is closed, I say, okay, it's closed. If he says it's open, then I step into it. So to just continually uh, to be able to be able to follow the Lord and, um, Thank you. I really, I can't say enough how much I, I can carry on because of your prayers. And every time I share the gospel with anyone, at, with ambassadors or governments, I see your faces before me saying, good job, we're praying for you. And I see the body of Christ. So I know every time I'm, I'm put in situations to share with people who don't know about Christ, I see you guys cheering me on. And, and even though the world's saying, that's foolish, you don't do that. I hear your voices saying, no, it's good. You need to share the gospel. So thank you. God bless you. Yeah, I'm gonna, we're going to pray. I, I'm just going to ask you if you could just say a little bit about the petition.